Slow news week. Random episode V2. Hello and welcome to Triangle Squared. I'm your host, Brett Beck, and alongside me, as always, Mr. Sawbridge is bringing you guys Lucky 122. Yes, sir. Uh, if you are unfamiliar with us, we are Triangle Squared, a PlayStation podcast. Like we said, we talk about PlayStation as it, and all of their competition as it pertains to PlayStation. Uh, we consider ourselves PlayStation enthusiasts who are also, of course, uh, we, we dig the other people. Competition's a good thing, so we Fire. talk about them all. But we, Fire Emblem again, t- or Fire Emblem today. Oh, yeah. Uh, what is it called? Um, three houses. Three houses. Yeah. yeah. I, I almost said two houses. I was like, that's not right. No. <laughs> the golden elk, the blue lions, and then the, the black something, black eagles. Okay. I don't know. I haven't played Fire Emblem like as a serious title in some years. Uh, but anyway, we are, like we said, uh, a weekly podcast. So whenever we do that, uh, you can find us on YouTube in video format uh, every Monday at 10 a.m. PST and 12 p.m. CST. If you like what we're talking about, uh, then we'd love to hear your thoughts down in the comment section below. That's something we love to hear is people's opinions on what we're talking about and our opinions. But also, if you don't want to watch us on YouTube in the video format and just want to hear our smooth, sultry, slightly lispy voices, uh, at least mine. Speak for yourself. Uh, you, you can find us on podcast services iTunes, uh, Google Podcast, Apple, whatever. You can find us on places. If it's, if it's a podcast service, we're on there. Spotify is another big one that I know a lot of people use. And recently, I've had a couple of people ask me that I just know personally about Stitcher and making sure we were on Stitcher. We are on Stitcher, aren't we? We are on Stitcher. It's just I've never really knew that that many people used uh, Stitcher as a podcast service. So there you go. Uh, anyway, you want to listen to us, you can. If you're listening to us, of course, on podcast services, there is no comment section. So if you'd like to give us your thoughts on the things that are going on, and partake in our weekly communities take question where we kind of reformat uh, the episode the way we talked about it and ask the community for their take on it uh, and then kind of tell everybody what's going on and what the community thought about. Then you could do so by going to our social media pages. We have Twitter, which is at Triangle SQRD. We also have Facebook, which is a group called Triangle Square to PlayStation Podcast. You can be asked to enter it into and we will gladly do so. And lastly, you can join our Discord, which is our day-to-day moment-to-moment conversation thing. And we have podcast discussion channel where everybody can kind of just talk in real time. And then, of course, we have the Communities Take channel. What we we do is weekly I'll reiterate a question and put it on all of our social media platforms and let everyone have a channel or a thread or a comment section, whatever it is, where they can kind of just uh, let their ideas of what we talked about out. And that section has seemed to do pretty good since we've introduced it probably a couple, I mean, I'd say, what, eight to ten episodes away now? Time, like that, time yeah. moves so crazy that it's really hard to tell how long we've been doing certain things. But, yeah. Um, yeah, so if you want to do that, go over there. And then lastly, if you would like to support the show in any form or fashion, you can head over to Patreon, uh, where you can actually support us for as little as a dollar per month and get early access to things like Reader Mail and our off-topic podcast, Dickish at Best, if you like something a little more NSFW. Uh, this is a good family-friendly safe for work most of the time things are kept nice and tidy uh so yeah that's what we are that's where we go and anyway with that said we got to start this show off the right way and we do normally kind of talk about 
what we're going to end up being as our main topic. But with a slow news week like this, we decided that we've done this once before in our 122 episodes. Yeah. Uh, just an episode where we kind of just roll with it and see what kind of happens. Very um, similar to Dickish at Best, where we kind of just hang out and talk about what we've been playing, games we're excited for, stuff like that. So a much more casual yeah. uh, conversation. And anything kind of, if, if we go off on a news tangent just because, then it happens. I don't know that that'll happen. But yeah, it's a little less structured every episode just due to the, way the week's happening but these are fun here and there yeah. uh, but saw what's been playing this week that is our actual that's, that's the first thing we've always got to talk about yeah uh so i beat dark souls remastered on monday okay now beat beat because i'm thinking weeks ago right you were playing whenever we were all over after HypeCon, of course and yes. you were doing you're pretty far then yeah. but i'm assuming we've restarted builds oh yeah like four and gone times. back through yeah so I beat it with a cleric uh a strength cleric build which is always fun okay. miracles in that game are how they should be and not like how they are in Dark Souls 3. But um, yeah, so I beat that. Had a good time learning how to parry Gwen um, because that game, for whatever reason, is just so much easier to parry enemies than Dark Souls 3 is. Um, even though I restarted Dark Souls 3 to do a fun run of something that um, I'm kind of just still deciding what my next Saw plays will be. And I every single time Idex Gundir swung his halberd, uh, I parried it in Dark Souls 3. Ooh. And that is, that's amazing for me because I can't parry in that game at all. So I'm trying to get that down. But um, yeah, like I took some time out and learned how to parry Gwen, which was not long or hard at all. It was just very easy. And beat that. I then moved on to Dark Souls 2. Dark Souls 2 has a similar thing with Dark, that Dark Souls 1 has to me. And it's like once you get past An Orlando and Dark Souls 1, it kind of starts to fall off in terms of quality. And it's been proven that they've had they had rushed uh, areas in that game, in that part of the game uh, due to development stuff. Mm-hmm. Dark Souls 2 does the exact same way, except much worse to me, um, once you beat through Iron Keep. And it just seems to kind of go downhill, um, at least for me. I don't really like a lot of the areas uh, as much as other areas in Souls game. They're not bad areas from a game design standpoint or anything, in my opinion. But it's a notable drop in quality. It's a notable drop in quality for the, for the earlier of the game. So I had an idea um, of doing a Pyromancer-only run in Dark Souls 3. So I won't be using a weapon of any kind. I will only be using Pyromancy Flame as my main damage output. Okay. And so I'm kind of playing through that today. I was playing through it a little bit yesterday, um, kind of just getting my bearings straight and figuring out the path I want to take. This is going to be a much more slower of a run compared to my last one. Uh, or my normal runs in Dark Souls 3 because I'm really trying to min-max perfectly to make sure that I can output the most damage that I need to. Because Pyromancy in, in Dark Souls 3 is pretty weak early game. Um, it's very weak, actually, until you get down to the Demon Runes and you kill um, the... I forgot his name. The Last Fire Demon, whatever his name is. Because uh, mm-hmm. then you get a spell called Chaos Bed Vestiges, which yeah. does absolutely uh, high amounts of damage. And then from then on, the game's pretty much a cakewalk. But, of course, he is a fire demon, so when you get down to fight him, it's pretty hard, considering all you have, all you is, have fire. is fire. So, yeah. you actually you have to turn in uh, Lord Wolnir's soul and get um, the uh, snaking pyromancy. It's a dark pyromancy, so it doesn't deal fire damage. It deals dark damage, I'm pretty sure. And there's also a hard part in that boss fight, too, because you got to summon uh, an NPC named... Cuculus. I'm not making that up. <laughs> Dark Swap Cuculus is her name. And you want her to live in order to get Cornex's set uh, for his pyromancy robes. So it's kind of a hard... It's a really just tedious boss fight. But um, yeah, that's pretty much really been it. I did play Destiny 2 actually last night for the first time in like two weeks. 
we we did uh actually i played it uh friday night as well i was really helping people get through zero hour to get outbreak prime and last night we finally got the last uh person we needed through and then we did scourge of the past which ended pretty badly um (laughs) and i'm not saying that i'm not blaming anybody for that that was we all were kind of tired by the end of it. That was and with Diana, right? No, 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 no. Okay. We would have we would have aced it if that was the case. Okay. But I was I curious. Was, I know she had mentioned something about. Well, it. I was I was kind of I was really trying to Sherpa uh, them through, and we got to the, the the first boss phase of the final fight where you have to go underground and stuff. And since that is the one I always run uh, the bottom part on, it's kind of hard to Sherpa the top. And I was running into issues. We were running into issues not getting two buffs. Uh, to get in our drakes and we did it about six or seven times and we just couldn't figure like we couldn't get the groove going to get everybody out and in their drake at the same time yeah yeah so since we were having that problem and it was somebody dying under it was uh because when you die you lose your buff it's once you get off rhythm and that kind of thing it's pretty much over it's a dead run Uh, it's hard to come back from in a one phase yeah yeah have you have you run crown of sorrows yet nope i was curious no um Probably will run that at least before Shadowkeep comes out, but I'm still kind of on part-time with that game. I, I really am not going to be playing it a lot uh, un- unless there's somebody on and we're doing a raid or something just because I'm not trying to burn myself out on the game. And uh, that way when Shadowkeep comes out, it'll feel pretty cool to go back. But I'm still just kind of playing through Dark Souls again. I got you. Blaze was supposed to be on Dark uh, on, uh, Destiny last night because he picked it up um, and actually hadn't paid me back. I picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> we can discuss that later. Anyway, um, I picked it up for him. He can buy you lunch. We can go get lunch in a little bit. We'll, fi- we'll figure it out. Um, but I picked it up for him, and he's kind of getting his bearings back with the game because he hasn't played since. He And he didn't even play much when D2 launched. Uh, he was late to the game, and then he's picked it up didn't twice play it now, much. Though. Didn't he play with us once, and then he picked it up again? No, he played, D2, he played D1 with y'all. Yeah. Uh, and around the time of Taken King, and outside of that, it was just, you know... He, Maybe he, that's he, what I'm thinking of. Yeah, so he definitely he got D2 at launch, but we had already been playing a lot, and he wasn't playing enough, and then we kind of just fell out of it. Yeah. Uh, and I know that's why he was kind of a little weird about getting back into it, but it was cheap enough, and I, I went and picked it up for him. It was $10 for the, uh, the, for, base game. the Forsaken collection. Wow. Yeah. That's an absolute steal. Yeah. Uh, on GameStop Summer Sale, they had. Okay. So, physical version of the game with yeah, everything in it. Forsaken Absolutely bucks. a steal. Um, so, anyway, so he's kind of getting back into that and learning how to play that. And um, he was asking me questions the other day. I was like, well, I can't be on tonight. I've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, and But we agreed, okay, Saturday, because he works night shifts. It was like, Saturday, we'll do it to where, since you'll be up, we'll go ahead and play it. And he ended up apparently falling asleep last night. So I never saw him got on. So I was just like, I played a little bit of Bloodstained yesterday. So I did start Bloodstained. Uh, I also nabbed the Platinum in Far Cry 3, finally. So I'm going to put that game down for, for, I'm done with it now for good. Probably will delete it off my hard drive, because, I mean, I don't really see the need to play it anymore. Yeah. Any upcoming months. Great to revisit it. Love the game. Enjoyed it so much. I was, gave it my spiel on the show enough. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to get rid of it. But Bloodstained is phenomenal. It's so good. Have you played it at all yet? Nope. Because you were waiting to get it on Switch once it's kind of fixed, right? Yeah. I, I was trying to remember your, your reasoning. I remember that it was going to be a Switch title for you. Um, but, yeah, dude, it's great. I think once you actually get started on Switch, if they ever get it to a point where it's a little bit better shape, you'll be doing good. It doesn't mean it's perfect on PS4. Even on PS4 Pro, I've had a couple of issues of um, the game. I'm trying to think of the word. It's not even like it, it frame drops. It's like the game completely kind of just stops for a second. Not long, but just enough to where it's like, that was odd. It's like you'll go jump, and then you'll just be where you were. I don't know. It's, it's like hard it to pauses? Listen. 
No. Or like it frame drops to zero and then it's like and then it's, one or something. Yeah, but it's like it doesn't frame drop to a number that you recognize. It flame, it completely bottoms out and then comes back. I don't know. It's really hard to describe. It hasn't happened a lot. Uh, I don't know if there's a rhyme or a reason as to why it's happening. I don't know if the game even actually has pro support, so it should. It might be something where I'm trying to use boost um, mode, boost mode, and boost mode's messing with it. It it can happen. Yeah. Um, so it may be something I go in to dig with. But the game is phenomenal. Uh, I mean, so much so of just feels like how good it feels to play. Uh, Symphony of the Night for the first time again. It's 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 like that. It's it's like if I could somehow go back to being a kid and play Symphony of the Night for the first time. And the closest I've got to feeling that in a Metroidvania in a long time was actually Hollow Knight. So I'm having two similar situations where Hollow Knight's a lot different, but it still has a lot of things that I think it matches it matches well with with the idea of a Metroidvania. But this is just almost to the T going back and playing a game like that. So. Fantastic. Glad to have gotten it. Picked it up with my Sony Rewards points. Steal. Um, but yeah, I, I've been playing that. And I, don't, I played a little bit of... Uh, I got Kyrie's PSP in. Like yeah, I, I saw about, that. Uh, and in, uh, got Discord. it back together and have it going. She was playing Loco Roco on it earlier today. So I was technically playing that with her. And I love Loco ex- Roco. Explaining. So it's, it's a fun game. And it it's is. just simple but fun. And she was loving it. And it's simple enough for her to kind of understand, even though it's still hard for her a little bit. But she was... Having those little moments of kid, like when she'd get really excited when she figured something out. So, been having fun with that. Been doing a ton of work on my house. I don't know if you saw when you walked in. Yeah, I did. It looks good. Ton of work. Yeah. It took me three different days of multiple hours to get what I've done done. And I just, I still got so much left to do. But uh, yeah, I've been kind of chilling this week. Started episode Black Mirror last night because I've never actually watched it outside of Bandersnatch. Interesting. So, what'd you watch? Uh, the first episode. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's where the, uh, he's got the mayor. The, the history of me. Or the, the 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 entire history of you or whatever where they've got these things in their eyes and you can go back and record and everything's recorded in real time and stored and you can go back. Black Mirror is one of the best shows in terms of like <clears throat> the episodes are just so disconnected uh, yes. that they all fit in, but they all fit in the same universe. universe yeah, I had to explain that to Hannah before we started. Yeah, there's like there's um, little Easter eggs in different episodes that show you like, oh yeah, that was in the last or that one episode. Yeah, Th- yeah. There's like probably company names that come back around and stuff. Company like that. names, devices. Um, you may hear people mentioned specifically towards the end of the. Well, I'm not gonna spoil it for you. Never mind. But it's like they're all happening in, a, in an interconnected universe. It's just Pretty much, the stories yeah. are meant to also stand entirely on their own. Yeah, so, yeah, I appreciate there's, that. There's a couple really, really good episodes in that show. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm gonna keep going. We only watched one because it was pretty late, and that was after I saw that Blaze hadn't gotten on, and I was kind of like, "Screw it, I got time. Let's yeah. watch this hour long episode and see what happens." But I enjoyed it. It was very good. It's way more intimate for it to be close to movie length, but only really focus on a very small amount of characters in this first episode. So. I enjoyed that. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and hop into the community's take before we get going on the news. Last week's episode, if you checked it out, was about uh, the PlayStation 4 Slim and whether or not we'd see another Slim revision, very similar to what they did with not only the PSP, uh, but also the PS3. Uh, and why that happened then and all that stuff. And I, I think that we had a pretty interesting discussion about it. Uh, and pretty much across the board, it seems like a lot of people are kind of in the mindset of, they don't necessarily know for them, and I think that makes sense, right? For this show, I think a lot of people who watch this show are going to be people who are kind of up with it, that the need for a, a super slim revision just kind of misses them because it's like I've already either got a base model PS4 or I've got a, a slim already. And if anything, if I was going to upgrade while still being in the PS4 life cycle, it'd be to a pro. So there's actually seems to be more people that would be interested in a PS4 Pro Slim 
just because of the fact that it'd be like, well, I'm not only would I be getting a better pro, but I would also be updating my system. So we asked very specifically. Let's see. Let me go back up to it real quick. Boy, this one was hot. Do yeah. you think that the power of next gen? Nope, that's not right. What happened to my community state question? Here we are. It's there. With PS4 on the horizon and PS4 entering late life stages, do you think Sony should make another slim revision to the PS4 to assist late gen sales? What about the PS4 Pro? Should it get the slim treatment or is it redundant with the market that it targets? Uh, one of the first things we saw was from Mr. L2B, longtime listener and great, great questionnaire. He says, I think it will. I think with the imminent release of the PS5, they should slim down the PS, the slim PS4 and the PS4 Pro. They should discontinue the PS4 SKUs altogether and keep the PS4 Pros as the base PS4 after releasing the PS5 and work on slimming and decreasing the cost of that console. Okay, that's interesting. Get rid of the entry model. The only thing I think about that is that one of the great things about PS4 is that a lot of games still look really good on it. Yeah. And... The technology is from twenty is actually older than even twenty thirteen realistically. Yeah, it's it's like two thousand and eleven. They uh, would have a lot easier of, GPU or G- APU. Essentially, yeah, mobile GPU, the Jaguar APUs or yeah. whatever. Um, but when you're thinking about that, it on you think that for the market that I feel like they're most likely to try and target in these last little bits, it's the same target market they hit with PS two, which is the idea of who are people who have either managed to completely miss this console but might want a Blu-ray player or might want any of these random things, a cheap streaming box that they can also play a couple of games they've heard about, like Spider-Man bringing people into gaming for the first time. Maybe people who would just be like, oh, I like playing the, you know, I, I like football and I've never played a yearly football game, but this little PS4 that they've managed to get down to 199 yeah, might be a way that I'd go about doing it. I don't know. I, I think that there is an interesting thing about getting the PS4 Pro as the base model, but I, it would all be on the shoulders of how low could they get PS4 Pro because we haven't seen a price drop on PS4 Pro at all. Uh, but we've seen price drop on the PS4, even though only one, ironically enough. Now, you could say that there's been a price drop of sorts with them making the 500 gig model uh, essentially just be out there and, and what was left was going to sell, but now the new standard at the same price is one terabyte. So it's like... You didn't get a price drop, but in a way you did because you're getting more memory for the exact same price than if you would have bought it before. So, yeah. With that said, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to say, I mean, it's an interesting idea for sure, LGB, and I'd be curious to see if they could get that price down low enough, maybe to 300 or 250 and how long does that take? And I know you, you specifically mentioned that once PS5's out. So, really, how, how low could they get the price in late 2020 uh, with a slim revision that does a lot? So, yeah. I'd say 249. If not like two or one ninety nine. Well, it's curious, right? Because it's like you look at the Xbox One X, which is a good bit more powerful than the PS4 Pro, but came a year later and was a hundred dollars more. And we really haven't seen either of them price drop notably. But no. we're supposed to see Xbox come out with a next gen console next year, and it's supposed to be five hundred dollars too. Like the pricing structure of these things right now has been incredibly weird to me. Yeah, I think that whenever they reveal um, reveal the consoles themselves, then they'll probably reveal a when when they reveal the price. I should say not the console because that's not always at the same time. Uh, I think they'll reveal a price drop on the current consoles. I, that would make sense, but I also just think it's really hard to even if it's the same year like they did with PS4, where it's hit hit hit, where it's like okay, we're going to talk about the system, then at E3 we're going to reveal the the actual system's look and price and date and all that, and they did all that in the time of one year. I think it's really hard to get somebody in one year to be like, 
why would I buy an Xbox One X right now for five hundred dollars, and then you're going to bring a new console that's five hundred dollars? It's just somewhere yeah. along the line. It's, it's more so than even the normal. I got ripped because of sell hit. It's like, how are you selling me technology that's this that? How is this system able to be this much better for essentially the exact same price? And you were still selling this to me for that price. I've been amazed that we haven't. I, I really thought when the One X hit, we would get a fifty dollar price drop on the Pro. I was wrong, and I guess Sony just didn't need to do it, but I still expected it. Well, and my thing is too is that. <clears throat> alongside plash drops, I always call, always, always had people complaining. But, oh, I just bought the console last week. Yeah, that'll always happen. Listen, don't buy consoles so late in their lifestyles if you're not sure revision's coming out or not. Like, you may want it right now and right here, then sure, go get it. But you need to understand that price drops can't happen. They more than likely will happen. So It's like when people buy a console right before Black Friday and then go, on Black Friday, how is this console $200? I just bought it for 300 It's Black Friday. <laughs> how would you not think you know, that if, there would be a great deal on Black Friday if you just waited two weeks? I would never, like, ever um, celebrate Black Friday or whatever unless I got the job or the plan is hopefully going to happen with what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. Because I would definitely go do it then. Yeah, sure, sure. Well... Anyway, uh, let's do a couple more. I'm going to grab one more from our Discord here, sure. and let's see. Uh, I think Rob Henry had a good one. I'm going to go to him real quick. A slim PS4 Pro would be awesome. I still have my launch PS4. It's still running strong, but I wouldn't mind picking up a Pro to have two consoles, one for me and one for the kiddos. Great, great idea. I'm just hoping that the rumors about cross-gen slash backwards compatibility are true. Then I could just get a PS5 and give the 4 to the kiddos to be able to play my PS4 games on the 5. And I went ahead. I normally would save it for this section, but PS4 backwards compatibility for the PS5 has been 100% confirmed. confirmed. Yeah, so feel free to go ahead and do that if you want um, yeah. but just be wary of price drops we do have one on twitter from our good buddy derek he says i don't think they will go to sl- uh, the slim route this time around there was way too long of an overlap uh for ps3 and ps4 it resulted in developers having to satisfy two systems with dramatically different speculation or specifications in a way slim models tend to delay the transition into next gen that's a good point but so going I, back I think- going back to uh, everything being forward compatible for this current gen. Yes. I think that it's it's a little bit um, weary this time around, or I'm a little bit weary of that this time around because it seems that that transition is going to be made a lot easier for people who are buying the, the PS5 because they can play all their games. They have all their digital games. It's all on PS5. So the the one thing that would be true uh, that, or that I can see being true in a problem is that the developers are then going to have to... to worry about the slim model specifications if it's any different and then the ps5 model specifications and then the base ps4 model specifications but even then i think that they're already having to work around the xbox one s the xbox one x and the uh ps4 the ps4 pro i think that a slim model won't really change a whole lot of that if it keeps the same power and it's just smaller well and it's x86 architecture yeah it's gonna I, be the same I, architecture i do regardless. agree with them in one sense of one of the biggest things i remember from the ps3 to the ps4 is of any generation i can genuinely think of ps4 and xbox one had the most cross-gen titles i'd ever seen yeah like there was they leaned heavily so many um and i i've bought like a couple specifically like grand theft auto 5 technically even though well that's not really cost well and that was down the road yeah that was actually quite a bit later but like okay let's think about launch so on launch so part of this Ghost. happened part of this happened because the system launched about a month after all these big games hit but yeah yeah so we had assassin's creed 4 black flag we had a uh, call of duty ghost watchdog i want to say we had battlefield 4 if i'm 
I'm recalling right. Yeah, pretty I think sure. Watch Dogs, and I can't remember if Watch Dogs came out a little bit later or not. But still, it, it was definitely a cross-gen situation. Well, it wasn't. It's a we lot. didn't launch Windows. Because wasn't there Dragon Age Inquisition was another game of, yeah. even if it wasn't quite at launch, it was close enough to the beginning of the first year where Thief was another one that was cross-gen yeah, situation. Call so, it, and I said Call of Duty Ghost. And I'd never seen that so but much, I, man. Wasn't there another Call of Duty that wasn't Ghost? Advanced Warfare was both. Was it? Okay. That's all, all the way up until Black Ops 3, but Black Ops 3 was online only on PS3. You couldn't play. There was no storyline. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Um, at least in terms, of, in terms of Call of Duty series. But yeah, Derek, when you're thinking about that, I definitely get it. There was a weird time where that was going on where I feel like the jump to the PS2 to the PS3 was such a massive jump that they couldn't really justify putting PS2 games on PS3. But since the jump from PS3 to PS4 was more like, well, graphics are already really good in high def, but what you're going to see with this is improved you know, we're going to go to 1080p instead of 720p. but And that is a big jump in its own way, but it's not as big as the jump from 480p to 720p, I feel like. You know, because, like, once you get into the realm of HD, it's quite a bit different than, the, than standard definition, even same, just at 720. It's the same with frame rates. Yes. Um, I have been playing, like I said, Dark Souls 1 remastered and Dark Souls 2 Scholar of the First Sin Edition. Those both run at the most stable 60 frames per second you'll ever see. Never once did I see a drop in those. And now that I'm playing Dark Souls 3, I had this weird moment where I had to Google, like, I thought Dark Souls 3 got a pro patch to make it. And it did. It did. But it's, it's not. only like 45 frames per it's second. It's not consistent. And it's so noticeable that I'm, I, I, I took it off my SSD to put it on my PS4 to see, like, maybe it installed weird on my SSD. And I was like, maybe boost mode doesn't work on SSDs or something. I don't know. No, it's just that's it's not 60 frames per second, so I'm not used to it, and it just looks off. Yeah, yeah. And that's the thing. And I'm, I think that's the problem we're going to have this gen, when people start getting used to 60 frames per second. Or this, yeah. cur- this coming gen, I'm yeah. sorry, PS5. As, yeah, yeah, and I fully expect I will be devastated if games aren't natively 60 frames per second next gen. Yeah, we'll definitely see, but... Um, yeah, Derek, I think that's an interesting one. I, I do agree with you to an extent that, to an extent, they, I think slim models are more than anything. I don't even know if it's specifically, I think your statement is true. I don't know if you meant it this way, but you said in a way slim models tend to delay the transition to next gen. I think if you mean that, I, I 100% agree if you mean that in the sense of normally they put out another slim model because definitely like in the PS3 and PSP situation where they had to do it was because the market was still in a kind of rough place due to the financial collapse. So what we did was we saw an elongated gen. So part of the reason for a super slim was because the gen had already been going on that long. Now it's about, well, let's do something to try and spice the generation up before we, you know, we have one more year before we can really do PS4. And I think you saw that with PSP as well. The PSP iteration came so quickly. I don't know if you remember. We had PSP and then we had a pretty long wait until the PSP 2000. Yeah. Then, from the 2000 to 3000 was only one year. Yeah, not a long wait at all. And uh, so it, it was very different. And then we got the Go the next year. It was just PSP was constantly it wasn't reiterated. Even, it wasn't even a year between the Go and the 2000, was it? Well, the, well no. Or the 3000. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think so. It's been so long since I've thought about it that it really is kind of hard to think, but I'm pretty sure it was pretty close to each other. I remember all the weird, corny things they did of like. Who was their old, um, their old marketing uh, actor? Oh, Kevin. Yeah, he was in the new like he's in the new um Carfax commercials. Oh, is he? Yeah. On, uh, Kevin on, Butler was the name they gave him, but I yeah. don't think that's the actor's name. It's no. just that was his name and the fake name. He's yeah, the fictional character played by Jerry Lambert. 
Jerry Lambert. Yeah, that dude's amazing. I mean, I wish they would get him back, even though commercials for video games and stuff aren't typically relevant anymore. Well, I mean, TV. they're definitely different. You remember the PSP commercials that had the little kid, and I can't remember his name, but he's uh, in role models. <laughs> That's the oh, best yeah. I can do. Uh, but he was uh, he was the PSP. Um, let's see. I know he has a little. Uh, uh, actually, see. it was it was Bobby J. Thompson. Bobby J. Thompson. It Here was one year exactly, almost. It, it came out between the, the 3000 PSP three thousand came out October fourteenth, two thousand eight, and the PSP Go came out October first. I'm still gonna say, dude, the PSP Go is just not. It was way ahead of its time. It really is a great piece of tech. It it's was. just the world was not ready for digital only, and no. nor was PSP because half the library wasn't on. Half of the best games weren't even downloadable. Yeah. Can't play Crisis Core on this system unless you mod it. You're just can't, inviting people can't to mod play, it. Can't uh, play Kingdom Hearts Birth by Sleep. Yeah, boy, people were furious because that was a new game. It was, you know, the excuse for Final Fantasy Crisis Core was like, well, worst case scenario, it was a game that never was intended to be digital. Uh, but anyway, yeah. yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the last episode. I'm glad you guys gave us your input on it. I think it is quite an interesting thing to talk about. And I'm, I'm more interested to see if they really do anything at all. There you go. You can buy a brand They're new PSP so Go. so expensive. Sealed in box for $1,000 so USD. I almost thought about getting one for Kyrie used of a black one. They're like $119, though, and I had the 3000 sitting around. So Honestly, I was like, if you can find a mint used one, which is hard to do because the piano black ones are like scratch like oh, I, city. Yeah, I know. Uh, but I found one. I found a great looking black one with a mild, mild scratches for 120. See, that's, that's the issue is that there's like the scratches negates. Like at that point, it's half a cost of the Vita almost. <laughs> that's true too. <laughs> what, what is the Vita? One, uh, 249? Uh, if you, I mean, I, I don't know now because you can't buy it new. Yeah, you, yeah, you can. No, they stopped selling it. It's about to. It's going to be out of production in twenty twenty. Well, you can still buy the leftover models on Amazon. You can go. You can if go they're the, around, I don't know if they're yeah, already around. You can go buy the aqua blue one. Uh, well, go. I don't know. Go look. Um, I think it's. I've aqua only blue. recently become an Amazon shopper. A lot. It's two seventy. You know I mean? so. Yeah, it's two seventy. So it's it's definitely had the thing uh, the price increase, but it's yeah. What what a sham! I got my aqua blue one, and then they release it over here. So I got to import mine. Did they really? <laughs> yeah. See, that's the issue with the one that I got is that it's the imported Japanese like mystical blue. So you got to get the used to buttons. The, yeah, it's only in the it's only in the menu screen. All the games work fine. Yeah, but the menu screens will throw you off. And then if you go revert them in the accessibility, then the the buttons don't match. Yeah, in the games. Yeah, it, yeah, there's, it's weird. But anyway, it's not something I can get used to, which is crazy because wasn't the PS2 a majority of the games circle to confirm X no, to go back? No, there was games that I played. There were that Japanese had that. games that did have that, but very few. I can't remember the games that I played. There were certainly games that had that. I remember having to get used to it back then. Yeah, because it's always been that way in Japan. But uh, anyway, we're going to move on into the news section. So thank you guys for your opinions on everything that we talked about. We appreciate seeing them and we like to hear them. Uh, next thing we're going to do, like I said, going to news. The first thing is going to be classic Doom 1, 2, and 3 were recently made digitally available on current-gen consoles during QuakeCon this past week. So if you like those games, go pick them up. All three games can be purchased individually, and interestingly enough, Doom 3 is not a port of the PS3 BFG edition, but rather the PC BFG edition. So it's a lot smoother, has a better frame rate, it looks a lot more polished, and it's a higher resolution, all that. 
So if you've been looking for that, it's 10 bucks. There you go. I think every game is 10 bucks individually, if I remember what I was looking at. Uh, on the back of this, though, Doom 64, which was originally a Nintendo 64 exclusive uh, Doom game, has been rated for PS4 by the uh, PEGI, the European content rating system. Uh, that's essentially the ESRB for America. Uh, so it's likely we get more Doom before the release of Eternal, which is the follow-up to 2016's Doom reboot. So they definitely went in all Doom at QuakeCon. I don't know why it's called QuakeCon when they constantly talk about things that aren't Quake. Yeah, uh, but I've also, never understood it's, that. be wary of the um, these ports because you have to sign into Bethesda's website to use them. And you- Did you see Bethesda's... I, I was going to talk about that. Did you see Bethesda's... Uh- talk about that there's no there's no reasoning behind that apparently it wasn't supposed to be that way it's supposed to be optional but bethesda messed up and this is what it sounds like this is messing up a lot lately well it's either two things right either it was intentional and now that they're getting a lot of backlash for it they're saying it was an accident and that they're going to patch it out or it wasn't intentional and was always meant to be optional and they did just let it go through in a wrong way either way Bethesda, it's unfortunate that they can't seem to get their foot on the ground before something else goes wrong. They were starting to do a lot better with Fallout 76, and then there was a uh, an update that hit that just completely broke the game for a small period of time. They got it fixed again, but it's like they don't need these stumbles right now. They just they need to climb up in a good fashion. Uh, you know, like when you're running down but a unfortunately, hill and you just start stumbling and you can't stop and you eventually fall? They've been doing that for like a year and a half now. They've just been like... Half they've been half falling. Yeah, they've been half falling for about a year now. <laughs> it's like they do all these good things, and then there's one thing I see them do, and then I guess that's just I, I don't know. I guess it feels disproportionate with Bethesda, and I don't know why. I don't know if it's because I just happen to like a lot of their games, and it's, EA I, I tend not to buy very many of their games anymore. Well, we've, so we've while I see it. EA make mess ups. I don't know if I, it's not affecting me disproportionately. Yeah. Is that what it is? Well, I don't we, know. No, well, we've talked about it before. Is that like. All their games we come to love because of how vast they are, and they launch. They always launch in weird conditions. They always launch with issues on some problems. Like when uh, Oblivion came out on the 360, you used to have to go and clear your cache every time you want to play the game because it would have frame rate problems. Well, just so I'm aware in this conversation and making sense, but also for the listeners' sake, are we talking about Bethesda specifically in the publishing right here, or specifically just Bethesda Beth- GameWorks Beth- Studios? Uh, GameWorks, or um, because I, I do want to be clear. I mean, there there are plenty of games they've released recently that had no issues. There has not been an Arcane game release that had any issues at launch. Prey launched in well, I'm talking about their, perfect yeah. state. Uh, Dishonored one. Dishonored two, Dishonored. Yeah. Death I'm talking Outsider. about their big games, their triple yeah. A titles, like and the ones, well, those are all three triple A, but they're they, they, are, they but, obviously weren't received in the same right. Way, sadly, even then with like Skyrim and stuff, though, is that you come to you come to expect it. Like even with Skyrim, it's like we knew that th- that that game was not going to run perfectly, and it didn't, and we looked past it because of the game. Yeah, true. And I guess that that's kind of Fallout seventy or Fallout four came out, and there was still there was narrative problems in the game. There was then there was still glitches. Like I, my game crashed a couple times using the uh, nuke launchers. But, um, but it was far and wide better than, than Skyrim was for most users on PS3, for, even if it didn't really affect me on PS3. For most users, yeah. yeah. So I think that we've just come to terms with the games that they make every now and then are probably going to have rocky launches, but we're going to try to look past them for the expansiveness of their games. And I, I will forever say the biggest mess up, or not even mess up on their part necessarily, but the biggest thing that really affected the way people viewed them, is I agree with you, I think for the longest time, people looked at it as if it was just like, oh... 
It's Bethesda. The games are massive, and no other game does this, so it's okay. But the moment yeah. that The Witcher Three came out, and even though the, again The Witcher Three still had bugs, but it wasn't Skyrim level bad, and it was the first time a developer that developer had put out a game of that scope and it had all the stuff going on, and then it just was like. And on top of that, it also took all the things that we normally look at as exclusive to Bethesda and iterated them on them in, in a lot better way. So it's like Skyrim, you had a ton of different storylines, but they weren't all equal in quality of the writing and whatnot and the importance of how it felt to the game. But then you get into The Witcher and it's like every storyline has a lot of importance. And even the side quests feel like mainline quests where there was times in Skyrim where it was like, it's cool that this is even a quest at all, but it doesn't feel as important as any of the other things. So yeah, I mean, I just do think that there was a thing where they got a different framing. So, right. And even then like some Witcher quests, like the, um, uh, I can't think of the name of it, but it's the King's quest with the undead baby. Yeah, that's like that's the that's, bloody baron. Uh, yeah, the bloody baron. Ooh, it's so good. Um, I'm gonna type in a message real quick on here just so I can go do. I something. can see it. I think I know what it is. Should I go do that? Probably. So then he doesn't have to stay outside. Okay. Yeah. If anybody's curious, he's wanting to know if we should unlock the door for Blaze. I didn't know that. I don't know that I locked it. I locked it just because we normally lock it when we record. Yeah. Um, then we're the only ones here. So yep, safety. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, I will keep on going. As part of their move away from their Sony partnership, Quantic Dream continued to express their interest for becoming a publisher for their own games. With this, though, David Cage, who is one of the company's founders uh, and also the main writer for their games, if anybody doesn't know that, has recently expressed interest in publishing games from other developers and that it doesn't have to fit into the interactive storytelling genre that they have been working in in the last 12 years, but anything that is, quote, original, innovative, and high quality they are interested in, in uh, end quote. So I find that pretty interesting. I think when you look at the fact that they are moving away from a really good partnership that they had and then going towards this partnership that, that they're getting with the Chinese company Tencent, uh, if you don't know who they are, they're the fifth biggest publisher in the world right now, if I'm remembering right. Um, so, I mean, they obviously have a lot of power. Um or it's not Tencent. Is it Netties? Good Lord. Tencent Net- is, hold on. is a mobile. Uh, it's mainly a mobile uh, game developer. They also make like... Uh, Here's my problem. It's, it's that I always get mixed up between uh, Tencent and Netties. I don't know who the second one is. Hold up. We're going to find out. Okay, Netties is who they partnered with, and they're the fifth biggest. Tencent is the people who, if I'm not mistaken, are the ones that partnered with Bungie. Tencent partner yep. with Bungie. Yep, there we go. Oh, Bungie partners with Netties. What? Okay. Okay, so I, never I mind. They're both Netties. I'm okay. My, it's just one of those things where I my brain gets mixed I up. I don't know who that is, and I swore it was, it was Tencent with Bungie. Apparently not. Uh, but anyway, when you're looking at that, it's like they have somebody coming in who's funding uh, funding them in some senses where they can do a little more on their own, work on more than one project at a time, which I think might be to their detriment. Yeah. One of the biggest things about uh, Quantic Dream is that even when their games have suffered in some of the writing – even when the games have been questionable in the writing department and some of David Cage's work has been kind of eh, some people are in terms of people viewing it, they, they view it with mixed feelings. One of the things that's always been consistently true is that their games are beautiful and they're just technological masterpieces for the time period that they're on. I remember being so blown away by how good Beyond Two Souls looked on PlayStation 3 that it was almost insane. And don't get me wrong, The Last of Us looked good and it was way more of a normal game, so it looked a fantastic 
for what kind of game it was, but it didn't even remotely touch what they were able to pull off with Beyond Two Souls on PS3. But my point being is that one of the things that I think this whole partnership away from or moving away from their Sony partnership is weird is that Sony did give them carte blanche on what they wanted to do. They gave yeah. them creative freedom. Uh, they gave them a time that they needed to work on one console, uh, and they gave a, it was a single console situation so that they could ult, they could hyper optimize. They're talking about going multi platform. They're talking about going multi-genre. They're talking about all these different things. And I think that they're, t- they're making too many moves at once, or at least they're talking about it in a way that feels like they're making too many moves at once, even if they aren't actually making them just yet. Well, and with those moves, it always comes down to, like, are you going to have a degrade in quality when you do that? Yes, because, because one of the biggest on things is so many more things. saying that you want to work on two games at once when you historically as a studio have worked on one game at a time that already gives you a fear. It's like, are you hiring enough people to do this? Are you going to try and do this with the same team you have? Are you cutting the manpower you've always had? All right. How is that going to affect the ability to put out high quality stuff on top of uh, at first in general? And then when you remove the ability to hyper optimize for one chipset, how much further do you dilute that down? And I am worried that we're going to end up seeing Quantic Dream go down in quality and potentially come become the next telltale. I don't want that to be the case. And I don't think, I think that they're better managed than telltale was, and they've never been in this, this drowning pit. They've always actually been in pretty good shape, but it still good. It still could get to the point where they're, they become universally loved like they did with beyond two or not beyond. I'm sorry with Detroit become human just to kind of want to go off and expand too much too quickly in a way that hurts them. And uh, I'm hoping that's not the case because I do like Quantic Dream. I like a lot of their games. I didn't necessarily just love Beyond Two Souls, but it was beautiful and I enjoyed it for what it was. Uh, but Heavy Rain and Detroit Become Human are, are fantastic games. I love them to death. Um, so here's the hoping that everything goes good for them. Now we're going to talk about PS Now's monthly lineup edition for this month. Uh, and we're going to see a lot of Bethesda in this with uh, some other games as well. Uh, but I mainly, I, I want to talk about this anyway because I find it interesting. And this, of course, affects me now, but it affects other people as PlayStation now starts to become a little bit bigger of a platform. But Saul, do you remember last time that we gave the monthly update on the editions of games and you were just like, I don't know what half of these games are. Like you'd never even heard of them. So, so I got to give them at least props that they have stepped in the right direction. They're, they're not for me. You want to know why? I mean, I guess technically they are because I'd never knew Lords of shadow had two sequels. I knew Lords of shadow had two. Here's the thing about mirror of fate. I'm pretty sure mirror of fate was originally a 3ds title. I don't know what, I don't, yeah, I don't know what that is. Um, it, and it was, you know how they had that thing going for a while where they would release a game on a handheld and then they'd come back around? That's exactly what it was. It was a 3DS title that was then brought to HD to consoles because it didn't do it well enough. Uh, yeah, very similar. to make a 3D Castlevania on, on, on a handheld. Yeah, very, and I don't even think it's 3D, ironically. Oh, is it not? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's, here, let's look. Because I, I, I'm curious now. I'm genuinely curious. But I have you have monster energy. So, so for those that don't know, no, it's side scroll, which actually is not a bad thing. Yeah, I wonder why it didn't do well. Um, I probably just didn't do well enough. If you remember, the 3ds sold around half of what the DS sold. So I'm sure when they first went into making it, they thought, yeah, uh-huh, but the, Buku's. The but Castlevania games on on DS and 3ds are fantastic. I just even then, though, one. if I'm being honest, I don't think that Castlevania. By the time that you started getting into what the 3ds was. The 3DS really, really marketed towards kids in a way that during the 3DS more than the DS, I actually felt like Nintendo leaned a little bit more on specifically JRPGs and children. What is the Raven? That's the only one I don't know. And it looks like it's a remaster, right? 
So anyway, I'll go through the games real quick. It's Castlevania Lords of Shadow for PS3. Of course, you got to stream that one. Castlevania Lords of Shadow 2 for PS3, which you have to stream. And that was, I remember that one uh, very vividly because it was very mixed. A lot of people loved it, and then some people just didn't care too much for it. Uh, but then we have Castlevania Lords of Shadow Mirror of Fate, which was, again, a handheld title for 3DS brought back up with HD for the uh, PS3 and Xbox 360. We have Doom PS4, which is a 2016 title that we talked about earlier in the news. Fallout 4 for PS4. Monster Energy Supercross, which is, of course, a motocross game, which there's a place for that in the market. I don't blame them on that. MotoGP 17, which is a you know a traditional racing sim-style game. Tekken 7. The Raven Remastered, which Saul is looking into right now. Yucky. I don't know what this is. And then Wolfenstein, the New Order. Now, if that would have been Wolfenstein... Youngblood or whatever it's called. The newest one, Wolfenstein 2. Or, but, well, Young, Youngblood's the newest one, technically. but And it just released. Um, That's right. I, don't, I, I hate the name of these games. They're all yeah. confusing. I platinum one well, of them. Okay. I don't remember what which a, one that one they was. They could have added the New Order and the Old Blood, which was the DLC, the, the DLC standalone for the first game. The New Order was the very first one to come out. Yep. On the, um, okay, that's the one I platinum. And then the Old Blood came out, uh, which was a standalone DLC for the first game. Then 2 came out, and then Youngblood came out. <laughs> too hard to keep track of it is but you know that is what it is so it's i think it's a better month but i'm i'm gonna keep doing this because i think it's interesting of course i have a year of ps now i actually may go back and play lords of shadow i never played any of them uh and i thought the first one got a lot of praise for whatever reason the second one got a lot of crap and it was by a, a, a spanish developer i can't remember the name of them off the top of my head i don't think i've ever seen praise um, for any of those games the oh game. yeah the first lords of shadow a lot of people loved um, well, that was a PS2 game, wasn't it? No, PS3. What was the PS2 Castlevania game? That was, I'm pretty sure, 3D as well. Ugh, I don't know. <laughs> I, that was when I was super poor and didn't have a lot of games. Um, I only played Symphony of the Night because I had a buddy with PS1 that let me borrow it. Curse of Darkness. Oh, yeah, I do remember that name. The name. I don't remember playing the game, though. Yeah. Um, that was in a time period where everything... Uh, you know, I'm so glad that we're back with the PS4 to games allowing being allowed to be side-scroller. During yeah. the PS2, they were like, it doesn't matter if it was a side-scroller before. This is a 3D system, and we're going to make a 3D game. And then all the 3D games were like that were typically bad. Like that, Dirge of Everest, they're both like the same kind of bad 3D games. And, like, and they're just... Floaty walking, they're frame rate problems. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they're definitely weird. It was an odd time for games. I mean, I think that about some other games, too. They definitely got better with things like Devil May Cry 3. Devil May Cry 1's kind of hard to play not because of the challenge of the, the enemies camera, but because though. the camera is the camera awful. once you get used to it it's 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 you, you you're used to it you're good for life but yeah i remember trying to play that game for the first time even though those game those camera angles they still have that problem like where you're running forward and you're holding say forward and then you stop but you're running towards the camera and then then you have to hold back to go suddenly you have on. to change so, but you don't have to change unless you let go yeah it's weird i don't yeah it's always been weird and i think resident evil's been the same yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, next thing up on the list, what will likely be the last update of any real interest to PS4, the beta for firmware 7.0 has been sent out after months of discussion of the main feature. Uh, the main feature being the expansion of the party chat size from 8 to 16 players. We've talked about it lightly on this show before. Uh, with this feature in mind, a first comes in the beta code being able to be used by up to 20 different people. During the beta phase, you will not be able to utilize the party chat feature with players who are not part of the beta. So that is exactly why they are letting multiple people use the code. They're hoping that little groups of friends who don't completely exceed 20 will use this and see how it works. Yeah. I think that this is a weird feature uh, before I go on to the rest of it. Primarily because we've talked about it. We've had chat parties with six people in them and sometimes eight. It's pretty rare. And it is impossible 
to hear a damn thing when you're trying to do anything of real substance. The only thing I can really see a value for this is if it's just 16 friends who want to get together and just be in a party chat to talk to each other. If they want to do something in a game, this is... Last night for the first time in a long time, maybe if not ever, we were running through Zero Hour, and it was me, Joe, and uh, people from my clan. I'm not going to name them all just in case they don't be named, but it was four of us, and all of a sudden, Eric joined in. And all of a sudden, somebody else joined in. And then all of a sudden, somebody else joined in. We got we hit eight. Yeah. And then they're like, we're like, well, we're gonna do the raid now, guys. So there's there's two people in here who aren't coming. <laughs> like, and it almost has to be for me. And maybe it's because Destiny Two is the most exam like most experience I have using that many people in a party. I would not want to be trying to do a raid in Destiny Two with more than six people in that party. No, the raid no. needs to be the people in the raid or in the party. Nobody else. My whole thing is is that like even during raids, we still have people who are talking and like we're trying to call out or something, and I'll have to yell, be like, "Shut up!" Like, like I'm I'm trying to tell y'all this, and then we'll end up dying or something. Like, I get really frustrated when someone's talking over me, and I'm trying to give them information that will prevent us from having to redo stuff. Yeah. Okay, next up, though, is a, a little bit more of that is going to be the beta also includes early access for U.S. users only in this regard to the chat tr- uh, transcription feature via the PS4 second screen app. So what it will do is if you miss something or whatever, the chat, if you turn this on, will kind of have it, it reads your voice and kind of tries to put it down as a transcript so that you can go back and look at what someone said without having to necessarily stop the conversation. I don't know if I like and look that. At them. I don't know how I feel about that either, and I really I want to look into – do you have to manually turn it on? Or are they always taking your voice and hearing it for something and, else and to improve the service? It? Just like Google says that they do with their thing. It's weird. I don't love it, but that's it. So if that's something that you have interest in and you don't care about your privacy at all, there you go. Uh, another feature includes the ability to tune your HDR to more accurately control what you see in regards to how your display handles HDR. I actually think this is really important because Sony has a ton of great HDR in, uh, uh, what do you want to call it? HDR Uh, compatible games that are fantastic looking but every tv handles hdr drastically differently the sony tv that i had in here before and my lg oled do it in vastly different ways and you got to look at what the the tv's strengths are because just because the tv has hdr doesn't mean that it has the right nits which is maximum brightness to pull off certain colors so you can go in and you can say well i want my brightest brights to be here i want my darkest darks to be here and kind of how it color grades between them so i think that that's actually a cool feature if you really really like hdr and care uh, but it's going to be for a small subset of people but hey if you want to you've got it lastly when the full update goes live for everyone sony has said that moving forward not all updates to the system will require a a restart with some updates being able to be installed directly after download now that's interesting but the biggest problem with it is it's not like do you remember when android came out with the ability very recently actually it was like the last android update to where moving forward when an android update comes Used to, you'd have to hit the Android update, your phone will restart, and then you'd have to wait for, depending on how many apps you had, for 30 the, minutes to yeah. an hour for your apps to be optimized for the new Android. Never that, that doesn't happen me. anymore. Yeah, that was never that So now me. what happens is you your phone takes the update, restarts very quickly, comes back up, and then immediately starts optimizing apps in the background while you can continue to use the phone. And that was one of the big steps that Google took to make it a lot easier. Now, this is a great step in on paper, but the biggest problem with that is... What does that really do when, for the most part, the updates are just going to be instant restarts anyway? It's not that it's not that big of a deal because they're not notable sized updates. This is probably going to be the last one, and I even think that this one is really not that big of a feature. 
in my opinion. I'm sure there's people that just love it, but I still think that this is small spaghetti, as I will say, in comparison to some of the bigger features that we've gotten in this generation, like the inclusion of SharePlay being a really big game-changing feature, or something like the ability to use your PlayStation with a PC connection to be able to watch stuff from a a, a stream. There's a lot of things they've done that I think have been far more impressive than this, and I, I, I like the PS4 a lot where it's been updated, but man, there was they updated the hell out of PS3, and almost every major update for PS3 was cool. It was like, whoa, you're adding weird stuff. Yeah, I watched a video the other day just because I, I it was I was like, you know, I know how the PS3 is now, and it's really crazy. But how did that come from the first thing? And somebody had a PS3 that had never been updated, and a PS3 that was on the most recent firmware, and looked at things that they could and couldn't do. Insanity. Yeah, I thought it was crazy. So. Yeah, we'll see what happens there. A uh, couple more things. EA Access, uh, so that's EA's subscription-based game service, in case you aren't aware of it, is now available on PS4 for any players who are interested. I think it's 20-something a year, 30-something a year. I can't remember, something like that. So, hey, if you want to pay less than what it costs for one full EA game to pay, play most EA games, there you go. It's for you. I don't know how I feel about it. I might go into it. I just... I don't know that I want to add another subscription service thing. That's, yeah, that's my big thing. Definitely in light of all the stuff we've been talking about. It seems hypocritical, and I don't really have that much interest for it anyway. Well, it kind of goes with, I'm already like, I kind of want to buy Photoshop or buy, but like, do the Photoshop program. Because for those that don't know, I don't think you can outright buy it anymore. If you can, it's an absurd price, but you can go monthly with it. And it's like 10 bucks a month, I think. Well, everybody moves. Oh, $30 a month. Oh, good Lord. Everybody moves towards this idea of if they can get you on a subscription, it's less money up front for you, but they'll make more money over time. Okay. No, this is, okay, $20. Photography. For, well, no, that's not. That's, so is that just that's light Lightroom. Box? That's Lightroom. Lightroom, I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. So if you want to put Photoshop in, it's 20 Hold up. So you can do monthly plans for $31. Photoshop is under the photography one. I knew it was. It's Lightroom, Photoshop. It's just a smaller bundle. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's $10 a month, but that's just, you know, in the grand scheme of it, companies are looking for ways to long time monetize. If they can get you to buy a program for $200 once, that's $200 once. Here's the tricky thing with this is you have to buy your storage for how many pictures you can edit. That's stupid. (laughs) Or is that, I can't tell if that's the, oh, it's the cloud storage. So if you don't care about cloud storage, it doesn't matter, right? Yeah, it's the cloud storage. Yeah. Well, that's, that's better. Either way. I am to the idea of I understand what it is. It's a long-term monetization plan versus you spending $200 once. It's very much like Xbox is trying to get in this idea of you just paying. They send you a console, and instead of you paying $500 once and then buying a game occasionally, with Games Pass and even that little idea of trying to let you rent a console, the idea is getting money from you every month guaranteed rather than getting money from you, a larger sum of money from you up front at once. If they can keep you on the hook, and as far as they're concerned, it's it's money that they can look at guaranteed every month or closer to guaranteed than it can be of, well, hey, somebody bought a $400 Xbox, but we don't know how many games they're going to buy. But if we give them Games Pass and they'll spend $10 a month, that might be $10 a month we get when we could have gotten $60 a year because they only buy one game. But if we give them Games Pass for $10 a month, we get $120. And now we got double the money off of them that we would have. It's a it's an interesting thing. I... I it can be for the better of some things, and it can be for the worse of others. 
So we will see. Uh, though we don't have a date, Darksiders Genesis, the top-down isometric hack-and-slash entry in the long-running Darksiders series that we found out about uh, during E3, has been announced to have two different special editions. So the Collector's Edition comes in at $119.99, so 120 uh, and includes the game, a steelbook case, a 9-inch figure of Strife, who is playable for the first time in this game, uh, and that figure also matches the figures that I have behind me here on set that were included with the Darksiders 3 Apocalypse Edition, so therefore it completes the set. It comes with an art book, a soundtrack, and some stickers. The Nephilim Edition is the other, and it includes all of the same from the Collector's Edition, but it also includes a limited edition Darksiders The Forbidden Land board game that includes miniatures, a map, cards, all these different things for a total of $379.99. Not going to lie, the game looks kind of cool, but it's just a lot of money. And even if I was going to go about getting it, which I wouldn't mind getting it if I knew we were going to play it. And then I get, I get this thing in my head of like, I'm going to spend all this money and it's just going to sit there and we're never going to play it because we just don't have time. Yeah. But I guess all that depends on whether you get a different job. <laughs> That's true. So we'll see how things end up going. I would definitely play more games. I'd have more time for games. <laughs> yeah. While on the topic of THQ Nordic, since they are the publisher of uh, Darksiders, they have also confirmed that their presence at Gamescom next month will be. Uh, and alongside that, they have plans to reveal an unannounced game that will be playable by attendees. So that's pretty interesting. Playable on the show floor with announcement, which means it's further along. Uh, they're going to have some other things there, like they're going to have uh, the SpongeBob um Remake that they announced is going to be playable there as well. Uh, but my biggest thing I'm hoping to see out of Gamescom is some kind of an update on Biomutant. Uh, so if you don't remember Biomutant, it's a little open world RPG style game where you play as an anthropomorphic animal. Raccoon that's essentially radio. Well, you can patch. make it look like anything. Yeah. But that's the one that they chose the to, to show it with. Yeah, and I thought that was great. So I really hope to see more of that. I know that there's a lot of people in our community that have been hyped for that game. I am one of them, of course. Uh, so, yeah, Sean, Corey, everybody else I can think of. I mean, we, here's the moment because it still says it's, it's a 2019 release, but we're running out of time. We're running out of time real quick. <laughs> so... Uh, next up, Remedy Games Control has gone gold ahead of its August 27th release date. So congratulations to the team over at Remedy. And uh, I'm still curious to see if we're going to see any kind of talks uh, from that Shuhei visit as to whether they're going to get bought out. I don't really think they will. No, I don't think they will either. Who knows? Uh, next up, Dreams Developer Media Molecule has updated its site with the ability to uh, for small devs to, to our small dev teams rather to apply who are familiar with Dreams tools via the early access release for contract positions within the company to create compelling content for the game's full release. They reiterate that it is not a normal outsourcing, but instead looking for teams that want to collaborate with the main dev team and other teams. Hiring people become talented with the tools provided in their games is nothing new for Media Molecule. I don't know if any of you guys remember, but throughout Little Big Planet 1, when they put it out and got received very well and they had these creation tools. There were people that found really crazy ways to combine the tools that they would never even thought of. And they brought those people onto the team to help with little big planet too, and so on and so forth. And they, they have continued to grow their team with people who essentially allow them to bring in fresh and new ideas, uh, using tools that they already kind of started. I think that that is probably one of the most unique dev teams ever. I think that there are going to be, of course, people who think that they're essentially pointless because of the fact that they take a long time and their games are more about letting other people make games. Yeah. But I really appreciate that Sony has not closed them down because I think they stand as one of the most creative game developers I've seen in a long time. 
just in terms of sheer uniqueness. It's like nobody does that to that level. If anything, they created the genre that has gone on a little bit more to where now we have Mario Maker 2, which is essentially the genre of play, create, share. What is what is the official release date for this game yet? Do we have one? No. They are still they're rolling through and just letting early access be its thing. They're at but they're adding features to early access. It's still thirty dollars. So I mean for what it is, I guess it kind of works, but this brings me back to the idea with all of this being said and done, I would love to see Sony go about doing this to where they, uh, for what they're doing here is a great opportunity for small dev teams, but take it a step further. Let Once the game comes out, whatever it be, let there be a way for small dev teams to get together, play this game, then make them games that can be played separately from Dreams by creating some kind of, like what RPG Maker was going to do, and then let people go through and play the games there. It can be used in two ways. It can be used to make a great playable thing for other people to get and, and build interest around something so that if another publisher wants to come behind and then make it a full-scale game and support the team, they have the ability to show it off that way or give this as a team, an idea, like I've said a number of times, to let these people who are small devs who are coming up and learning this stuff monetize their games. I don't see, even if you're not going to put trophies in there, which I know has been something I would really like to see. I guarantee you there are people that would pay a dollar to play a game that they've heard great, great things about and give tool, give teams the ability to do all sorts of things. They'd be able to cut their own trailers from the game and put it on YouTube and then draw people to the PlayStation store and go, this is where you can go to my game inside of this hub and pay a dollar for it. Yeah, it would be actually or $2 really cool for experience. whatever I want. And I think that would put Sony in a position that no one else is at. Yeah. And, I don't know if Sony's going to be bold enough to do that. I think that they, if gaming would have been there during PS3 when Sony was doing a lot more aggressively weird things, I think we could have seen it back then. But now's the time, Sony. Do it, please. I think this would be such a cool idea. And you would give people real reason to not only want to buy Dreams to develop on it, but also for people to want to buy Dreams to be able to just play the games on there or whatever. Um, I think it's a great idea. Hope to see it happen that way. I don't, I'm not going to hold my breath, though. <laughs> Two more things. Sega have filed a trademark for Knight's Dream Wheel, which looks to me to be a potentially another chance at kickstarting their cult classic Knights in the Dreams game that was made by the Sonic team back on Sega Saturn. So if you've never seen that game, it was a little niche one-off for the Sonic team that happened when Sega Saturn was coming around. They needed to make a different game than Sonic, so they went ahead and did that. Um and it's a game that they tried making a follow-up for on the Wii, I want to say, back in like 08, um, that I can't remember the name of. I think it was like Knights in the Journey or something like that, uh, that wasn't received as well. And But, it, you know, either way, I think the Sega realizes they have a series that could be something, as there's still a lot of people going after it. And considering that Nier sold very poorly and then came out with one other game that just was able to light the wheels. That's why we need the remaster so we can see what its true potential is. Bam, bam. That's what we need. Uh, last thing, while we're on the topic of Sega, there, Rio Gagotuko. No, I don't know how to say that. Anyway, the studio behind uh, the most recently released Judgment and also the Yakuza games have announced a press conference for the next mainline Yakuza game that will be held on August 29th. So if you have any interest in that studio and what they do uh, and wanting to see what the next Yakuza Choose a game will be like. Go check that out. But that concludes news. We are done with that. And now we just get into a... We chill. Where are we eating for lunch? See, we can be all kinds of random. <laughs> I guess when you name an episode Random V2, you can literally do anything you want to do. Um, you know what? I'm not sure. I have some Roadhouse in the fridge. No. But if we're going to go out to eat somewhere, I don't know. We always tend to lean, lean on Wendy's, but I don't know how long... I had Wendy's last night. I don't know how much time Blaze has either, so I don't know how crazy you want to get. I was thinking maybe Amigo Wands. 
but that sounds like that might be too crazy. We're going to have to ask Blaze. We'll figure that one out. Um, but you know what's funny? You were looking at Astral Chain a second ago. Yeah. I, I know that. Has there been any notable change? And this is something I've been actually just curious about in general. Has there been any kind of notable change in these last few weeks? Because it's been weird. The news weeks have just been going strange. That's yeah. the best thing I can really say uh, with all the things coming out. Has there been anything that you've seen in the gaming world at all that has even remotely shifted your once standing position that Sony doesn't have much exciting going for you and that more of that seems to be on the Nintendo side for you this year. Yeah, this year. As we wind down. And I don't think that that's weird. You know, PS4 is in its later stages. Yeah. So, like, for those that don't know, like, I'm super excited for games like Fire Emblem Three Houses. The only, re- the only reason I didn't get that on release day is because I had a lot of stuff going on that day. But, um... Yeah, like right now it's it's Fire Emblem Three Houses. I still need to pick up Mario Maker Two. I meant to get that on release day as well, but have been kind of bogged down with a lot of stuff. Uh, and then of course Astral Chain, which will hundred percent be picked up on a release day, as well as grabbing a Switch Lite. So I'm just really excited for everything Nintendo coming up soon. Whereas Sony doesn't really have a lot going on this year that we know of. I will say that this is, you know, July, late July. So if you're watching this in the future, they, then they drop Last of Us in November. You know, I'm, that's obviously not ex- like that's excluded from what I'm talking about. But well, yeah, it's just it's just weird because normally there's holiday titles that I'm really, really looking forward to. And, and this year, there's not many. There's like three, I think. Yeah. I mean, there, there's definitely games coming out this year, but it is an odd year. But like I said, when you're going towards the end of a life cycle on a system, I mean, it is kind of weird to what game, how often games that are really exciting to you are going to hit yeah. uh, and what those are going to be. But, you know. Do you feel like there's any way that with Gamescom coming up next month and Sony actually being at Gamescom, even though they weren't at E3 in any capacity at all, do you think there's any chance that we'll see anything at Gamescom that would change your mind on that? I mean, if they, cause like you already mentioned, like right? remasters can always be announced surprisingly. So like you can that's say, true. you can come out and say like what we're talking about near remastered. And that's that would true. Be a banger. And square could come out and say that. And that could be oh, yeah. a this year title. I so, guess. um, it's it's just for right now for what I know I don't think that we're gonna or I don't I'm not sure what we're gonna see from Gamescon um, I know that'll be a future topic for us for sure because there's not a lot going on in the gaming world right now uh, it may have to until, be next week's title topic yeah but what what I mean more than anything is like okay so you just mentioned Nintendo games right right and ironically enough all the Nintendo games you mentioned are first party titles yeah. or or second party Nintendo published yeah. titles uh, so in terms of what you're when you bring up which one has more exciting things for you? Is it just literally across the board, or do you mean more from like the first party, second party helm? Because all the games you just worded off are Nintendo published no, games. It's, it's, but are you saying across the board that right now the PS4, even from the third party support, just isn't having anything that's screaming for you? Is it kind yeah, of like I mean, Shadow Keep, I guess, is one thing that I'm super excited yeah. for. Well, but, but I, okay, like I know you're excited in Biomutant. So if Biomutant does hit this not, year, does that swing towards that? I'm not, no. Like, Biomutant as nothing is not a game I'm excited for as much as uh, Astral Chain or Mario Maker, or not Mario Maker, uh, Fire Emblem, stuff yeah, like that. Sure. So, it's one of those weird things that, like, I'm I'm looking forward to that game. I don't know if it's going to be a launch day game. It'll probably be launch week game, for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just, it's it's really kind of like, there's just not, not a whole lot going on, unfortunately, that I'm interested in. Well, I mean, PS4 slowing down as a whole is kind of a bummer, right? When I look at when I think about all the stuff going on, it's like it's only a bummer in the sense of like PS4 started off a little slow, but you're kind of used to that in a console generation, and then it starts kind of picking up, and then you get years like 2015, which starts to be like okay, a lot of good games. 
Yeah. Then you get 2016 hit. It's like even more good games. 2017 hits, you get games like Near Automata, Horizon, Zero Dawn. You keep going, you're like, God of War. Whoa, what's going on? 2018 hits, you get God of War. You yep. get Detroit. You get all these big games. You get Spider-Man, which even though I, I, I think we can both agree, we end up, I think, kind of taking the piss out on Sp- Spider-Man a little bit. But that's just because it's I think a good game. it's a fantastic game. It just did not live up to my but expectations. But people talk it up a little too much. And yeah. I guess it, because of that, I have a little bit more of a need to want to be, more to, to put up my it. realistic opinion out there. I just think it's a fantastic game, and I think people should play it and buy it and all that. It's it's a great game, and, yeah. it, and it deserves for it, it, for the most part, it deserves everything it's gotten. I mean, money that it's made, the fact that it's become the best selling uh, superhero game, even though it's an exclusive, it really does deserve all that. Even if I don't think it maybe is as good as Arkham City or whatever it be, it's still a fantastic game. But yeah, it's like you have a year like that, and it keeps hitting and keeps hitting year after year after year. You keep going like, man, when's it going to slow down? And then you hit this year, and it's kind of like, oh. This year, yeah, <laughs> when it's going to slow down, it's like, and, and here we are. We're at like the, the what do we have? And, and it goes to show you how weird this year has been. It's like, what do we have in the way of exclusives? Day's gone, yeah, and that's you We're, know that was on a game that like maybe when it slows down to a, like a screeching halt and like say after Destiny or something, I'll pick that back up because I know that's a very um, slow burner and it is. Uh, slow it is. beginner. But it's one of those things. It's just like it, everything's so boring right now in a sense that it's like you got to catch my attention out the gate. And keep it there. Well, and, and does it help? Because like the thing about Nintendo is like you were already excited for them this year just from the games. Yeah, but then that gets emboldened almost. I guess would be the word I'd choose to use by the fact that it's like on top of the games that you were already excited for, then Nintendo's making other moves because they're in a different part of their life cycle than because they came so much. Well, and. Like everybody says, Nintendo sets the generation, so technically Switch is a next-gen console. Yeah. But I don't consider it because it's still weaker than a PS4 and an Xbox One. But on paper, it is a next-gen console, for lack of a better word. So when you're looking at that, it's like Nintendo's in their, you know, in their second and third year going into that where they can talk about the things that normally happen at this point in a console's life cycle. So not only do you get great games coming, which is them speeding up and doing this thing just like PlayStation did, but they started a little slow where all they really had was like Mario uh, Odyssey and Breath of the Wild Wild, and then Mario Odyssey in the first year. Those are the biggest games. Yeah, it's what I've said. And then it kind of starts compounding where now that we're getting into like, this is year two first, or we're in year two right now for switch yeah and coming in towards year three it's like now that we're hitting here we're starting to see the nintendo wheels churn and put out more games just like we saw sony do and but uh, but what happens is that on top of all that stuff and all the games that you're getting to see you're also getting hardware revisions yep you're getting so not only are you getting a new switch is the exact same model but with a much better battery life hardware also getting of of what i specifically wanted which well, yeah, the, so like no, switch white, like yes, yeah, and yeah. that's it, and that's it for me. It's like Nintendo's been able to swing me back around to being excited for them this year, not only because of games, but games are only exciting when you want the hardware that it's going to be on. And yeah. the Switch itself was not compelling enough for me to get the hardware to play the games. Right. But now that the games are all lined up and I have a road forward with the Switch Lite, even if I do still think that they should have put the docking on there, not even for me, just for everybody, but it does get to that point where it's like, now I have a reason to be genuinely excited for yeah. Nintendo because I have an entry point. And then now. we have Pokemon down the road. I mean, it is it is like a week away from Death Stranding, which is my... that's that Realistically... It's like, so far, what we have confirmed, my most anticipated game uh, for PS4 this year. Now, what's your most anticipated game at all this it's year? It's probably a tie between that and National Chain. 
Okay. Probably leaning a little bit more on Death Stranding. Uh, but the thing him. about Death Stranding is even though it's on PS4, it's just one game. And one game cannot outweigh, in your opinion, yeah, this multitude game, of other games that you're willing to that play. I'm getting today. Uh, and, you know, everything else. Pokemon, getting a new Switch uh, revision that you get to tinker around with and play with and stuff. It's going to be a good year for me, specifically, as a Switch fan. But... That's and that's why I've always said, you know, like if you have a PC that's uh, that you built or a gaming PC that you bought uh, or a, P- and a PS4 and a Switch, you're always going to be gold no matter what because you don't you're not in a losing team. You have everything you need. You've got um, something to play. Even so, if, if PS4 slows down for a month, yeah, you can play Switch. If Switch slows down for a month, you, you can play, play PC. If yeah. PC slows down, you, you have PS4. And I'm still going to you, you play, have kind of a triangle to roll through. Yeah, yeah and I'm still going to play Dark Souls three, but I'm but today. Um, is going to be focused around. I got to go help out Annie's parents for a bit, but um, then it's going to be pretty much Fire Emblem on that long. Like, yeah, I'll chill sure. out and play Fire Emblem. Well, you know, one of the things that gets pretty interesting about that, and we've seen Sony try and do to an extent, at least on the handheld side of things, a little less on the on the console side. Yeah. Even though that's also true of Nintendo. Um, do you feel like? We, we talk about sometimes. I think about what makes a company feel unique, and I think that for. Everything that some people may make fun of and say Sony is all just third-person action-adventure games, it works for them. And it's like an identity that you can see from Sony. And I think it's more than that, to be fair. But as we've seen this kind of generation go on, you get games that are like, even if it's open-world, Horizon's third-person action-adventure in a lot of ways, even though it's RPG-heavy as well. But when you look at it on, if you're just quickly looking on the screen and you see Horizon, Days Gone, God of War, and The Order. Let's just yeah, throw those Spider Man there. Last of us. Spider Man. Okay, yeah, all those. They're, what are the one thing you see in common? Narrative heavy, really, really beautifully graphically, and they're all normally hyper realistic looking as much as they could possibly get. And then you also get the fact of oh, third person over the shoulder. It's like you start to get this point where it's like you feel like, well, that's a Sony game. You can see it, and you can kind of know it's a Sony game, and it's what you expect from Sony. But then you look at Nintendo. And Nintendo, you go, well, Nintendo's the people that make the mascot game still. They're the only people that have ever been able to really hold on to the idea of a mascot uh, and game series that are going to continuously use multiple mascots, and they do that. Is there any value in, in Sony? Well, how much value do you see in Sony trying to copy it? Because, like, you've played, and I'll, and I don't mean fully, but where do the two borrow from each other more than anything. Do you see a future in which Nintendo stands to gain ground by looking at some of Sony's things and going, what if we could tap into some of that market who's coming to us for other reasons, maybe because of the censorship uh, or maybe because they're wanting the ability to play on the go and they're busy. What do we gain by looking at some of what Sony does and making a more adult-friendly game, which they kind of do with Bayonetta, and Bayonetta 3 is coming. But it's like, what do we gain by making a little bit more of an adult-friendly game or an adult-oriented game that maybe ticks some of these boxes? Hyper-realistic is just not going to happen on the Switch. I think everybody knows that. No, yeah. So it's like, what else can we do? You're out of you're you're out of your mind if you think games on the Switch are going to like be able to run at 60 frames per second and look amazing for every single title. That's exactly. Just, you it's have, just not going to have to have correct expectations. But, but if you look at the Switch and you say, okay, Nintendo goes, what would we gain by having one studio that we set up who their entire goal is going to be to make an adult, mature, story-heavy driven game that is third person and hits a tick of what you'd normally expect from a Sony game to where we can 
kind of trying to expand that audience. And what do you think Sony could gain by looking at Nintendo and going, we have this great audience here, but what, what do we gain by trying to make a game that's a little more kid-friendly, which, again, we've seen each one of them well, yeah. dabble in a little bit. We, so we have Bayonetta as a prime example on the Nintendo side, which was, a, I remember, like little big then you have like Little Big Knack. Planet and Knack yeah. Yeah, on this side. So And, and there's I obviously mean, another adult-oriented game on the Nintendo console that I haven't really thought of, but they're there, very few and far between. Yeah, they're, and they're, you know, depending on adult-oriented the meaning you're giving it. Like well, that's the, true too. The Cause censorship like stuff is the getting, niche Japanese titles, yeah. it's a little different, but I do mean in the, in the grander scheme of core markets. Yeah. So adult, adult market and then, like, and then kid friendly mascot. Ma- and that still covers adults, but market. yeah, mature market. That's yeah. a better way to put it. So um, what I, do you think that there's any kind of, is it, do either of them stand a choice at gaining in that? Because one other point we've seen, and then I'll let you talk, but, um, is one other part we've seen of Sony trying to mimic little bits of Nintendo that I can use. Two other small examples is, of course, um, the biggest example being uh, uh, PlayStation All-Stars Battle Royale. Uh, And then, and I actually think there's a lot of value in that personally. Like Little Big Planet Uh, Kart Racing. We a little bit car racing is is hard because it's been around forever. It is, and a lot only, of people are doing only, it. Only one company does it to the consistently. Yeah, I'll give it consistently that consistently into the popularity. Yeah, uh, so that's another one. But the other one I was going to bring up was actually on Vita. They had a Pokemon esque game with their Invisibles or something like yeah. that. It wasn't. It probably it was, was Invisibles. I think it was PSP, wasn't it? Was I can't remember Vita? what it was called. I can't remember if Invisibles was them or not. Was that on Vita? I thought that yeah. was PSP. There game. was a PSP one as well, but it wasn't as big. Okay. And it was it was AR. They made an invisible game on the Vita that was actually made to where it didn't worry about the camera at all. It was more like a traditional Pokemon game to an extent where it's like you walk around, they're out there in the wild yeah. in a game world, and you catch them in that and you keep going. Well, honestly, I don't think that there's value in melding them together uh, or taking one off, taking an example from each other and giving it. I think that what they're they're both doing really well is is what their core audiences are there for. But what I do think that is something that you could take away with a Switch is it's a lesson learned from the 3DS. And I've said this a lot, but it's it's you know 3DS started with a very weak lineup, and then two years, three years in its life, you're hit with one of the best JRPG uh, libraries of all time, and. Uh, I think it's simple to say that like Switch is following in the footsteps. Now, whether it'll get as good as what the 3DS had or not, and I'm tying in 3DS with DS, of course, because they're backwards compatible. It's the same. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like tying the PSP in with the Vita. It's yeah. like, you still get them. Yeah. It's still there. You have that so, library accessible. So. so I do think that it's important to like notice that like right now, like in terms of JRPG, it's hard to argue that Switch is doing better games than PlayStation is. Like. For JRPGs, De- well, definitely on the upcoming thing. Like, yeah, well, you know, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking yeah. about because Fire Emblem is a going, JRPG. I mean, yeah. you know, it well, doesn't yeah, matter Ash- that it's also Ash- something like that. But Ash- um, Chain, technically, Pokemon. Bayonetta's coming. I yeah, mean, Bayonetta, even though it's you know, multi-platform, and it's more of a Japanese action RPG. But yeah, JRPG. It's kind of hard to say. I mean, but yeah, it's one of those things that's like. But you have the narrative side of things, which is Sony, who is doing things way better. And I think that everybody comes to expect that. And it's kind of like the story in a JRPG. You come to expect that it's going to be lighthearted with like some betrayal or uh, some, they're going to be grittiness, but it's going to be in still a lighthearted manner due to the art style, the expressions they'll use, stuff like that. Um, yeah, over the top expression. Yeah, like it's not as, yeah. it's not as mature as a game that's using like um, the Last of Us Two or something with like yeah. hyper realistic like where they're using, axe cutting head off. Yeah, and stuff. like actual actors in motion capture and stuff yeah, like sure. that. It's gonna be different. So I think that what they're doing now, both aside from each other, like or apart from each other, I mean, um, I think that it's they're both doing it really well. It's just Sony has they they I hope they learned a lesson with what they've been doing. 
uh, with E3 and such, showing off, you know, all these major games year after year after year, and then all within two years, or a year and a half, really, you know, all those games come out, and then now they're left with nothing. Like, they really only have, so far as Death Stranding this year, right, in terms of, like, big AAA releases. Uh, well, Days exclusives. Gone was a surprise hit for them, because I'd, I'd even go as far as to say, Either Sony just really, really knew that Days Gone was going to end up being a game that hit, even though it, they may they may have known completely out of the gate that it was going to review weirdly yeah. because of the type of game it is. But then in the long run, it was going to hit a great sales yeah. trend. Well, I'm talking about for what's, or, what's, what's coming. Like, yeah, well, sure. But I mean, even then, it's still a light year, even if you just look at Death Stranding and, and, and Days, and gone, Days really. gone. I mean, yeah. it's not a big one. And I only mean that in the sense of like, I don't even either Sony knew that Days Gone was going to for sure be a hit or they just were really throwing out there and going, look, we're going to risk. This is the first time we've let you do this. We're going to hit. But continue. I didn't want to. No, no. Yeah, that's, that's almost like I was getting pretty much to the point was that like, you know, it's there. They both stand aside from each other with very important parts. And you have the portability and then the JRPGs and such with the switch. And then depending on, you know, your ethics on who about censorship for me. I, I think it's important, but I don't really care about the situation that much that it's it's going to sway me from one company to the other. Um, well, depending on how they do it in the long run, you know, how deep the censorship. Yeah, goes, how deep yeah. it goes. But um, but yeah, I think that if you're looking for a handheld that you can take anywhere with great RPGs that will have a library that will be continued to be supported for years on end. Definitely. You know, you're going to be a switch fan. And that's not to say that, you know, you don't like those cinematic style stories that you get from PlayStation because that's, you know, me. That's that's who I am. I like sure. both. Yeah. And um you yeah. like to balance it at all. Even yeah, even if you want a handheld that still has a, a great amount of JRPGs, is the Vita. You know, sure, and that you know encompasses the PSP. Like what Brett was saying is that you can go back and play PlayStation classics of titles. But then you lose the Switch's benefit of it's a, a library that will continue to be added on yes, immensely. It's, it's the Vita at the end of its life. Like you know? there was a, a rumor. Um, it's not really. I don't think it's really confirmed. And if it is, I'm really not sure on what it is confirmed. Is that like Astral Chain may be a trilogy. So oh, it's yes. like that, that could be uh, an actual not, series. Yeah, it's not that it was confirmed so much as it said that if the game performs as they're expecting... Then it has they, potential to become a trilogy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, And I think that's what it kind of boils down to is that you have... you know, I'm sure we're going to get another Fire Emblem game. We're probably going to get another game akin to Octopath. We're probably going to get... Uh, or yeah, I think that we'll probably get a second Astral Chain at least. I think that game's going to sell really, really well. It's very highly anticipated among the Switch crowd. But you know, you're going to get all these good JRPGs, and then you're going to still be getting titles like Mario, Zelda, um, and Mario Kart stuff like that. So I think it's important that, that you separate them and you know what you're going into. You temper your expectations with everything because people say like, "Oh, Astral Chain will be 30, uh, 30 frames per second. That's a letdown." Did you expect it to be sixty? Yeah, I saw like, that too. But now, okay, I know why they thought it, and I and I almost included in the news. I decided it was kind of dumb too. It's because it's made by Platinum Games, and up until now, Platinum Games have never made a game that was thirty frames per second. Yeah, yeah. But, but the hardware demands it, right? Sadly, it's, it's a it's a it looks to be shaping up to be a fairly beefy game, and uh, you know, different art. I mean, different art, but different equipment and stuff like that um, on a handheld specifically. Like, you sure that you could probably argue that they could make the um, Switch, docked version. Switch is a console, yeah, as far as Nintendo version, says. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, I don't care about that. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't dock my Switch at all unless I'm playing multiplayer games with people, which is rare. So. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, 
in that, and I, and, and I think this is a good spot to end it. I just found it interesting. So in that, the main reason I asked about those two companies, because they're both Japanese, right? When you right. look at those, it's like you're seeing how wildly different they are. It seems like Sony, even though they're Japanese, have really leaned into a little bit more of a Western heritage, uh, whereas Nintendo stayed a little closer to, I think, their Japanese heritage yeah. in their games and the way they choose to do things. It, even when you're going into the mature route, we see that for the fact that Nintendo still makes a ton of the JRPGs. We haven't seen Sony make a JRPG since Legend of Dragoon on PS1. So that's... Really? Has it been... Yeah, I mean, and I mean that in something like, you know, they're, that they've published that's been made by one of their teams. Like Fire Emblem is made by the Nintendo, one of the Nintendo yeah. teams. And so Astral Chain is being ma- made that's by a partner, partnership, but published yeah. by Nintendo. Yeah, so, but we haven't Second seen party. something like that from Sony as far as I, and now, okay, that I can really recall to, uh, because even something like Yakuza, while it's exclusive, it's still published Sega. by Sega. Yeah. It's just that it's an exclusivity deal. But in, in looking at that, your answer essentially, which I agree with for the most part, is that what they do is they fit two very different needs in the gaming community, and that's important. And that when you have them together, like you've also often said, you have a balance. Now, here's the biggest thing about that. With this generation, this is the where that balance has been struck. Where has Xbox, in your opinion, fit into this generation in in the outer? And and is it because and are they doing worse because they don't have a spot necessarily in that in that balance to you, or is it just because? Well, I think that they're still a a great multi platform machine to pick up. You know, if you if you don't care about story driven games or cinematic games, I should say games that are typically slower that have a long long build up uh, and a good story. Um, unlike games like Assassin's Creed, where you know pretty much the story starting out the gate, and then you're gonna learn more about characters, and the the further more of the story, the quicker you get through the game. Where you have games like um, Detroit, you know that's a slower game. It's- well, a good example would be I, the Xbox, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's opinion, and even sometimes that was used against them by some of the the fanboy crowds. But I mean, when you think about Xbox during the 360 generation, their spot that their spot most people thought shooters. of was shooters. Yeah. Now, ironically, they've that the fact that they were so drawn to just one thing in particular, a lot of people were turned off on. And I think that they've done a lot to ver- to give themselves variety, but not in anything that's ever been able to just nail home this generation. So what they've done is by in, in almost a way of by losing their identity as the shooter console. Yeah. Even though they've done, they've added variety, which I think is a great thing. I think that they've lost their their obvious spot in the market, the market for people who the are market. more cat in the market. Uh, yeah, but I think they've lost their more obvious spot in the market to where people know exactly what they were used to. It's like in three sixty days, like well, if you really love shooter games, yeah, if you're, you're going to get the three sixty multiplayer game, it's going to be on three sixty. Yeah, now and it's like now they've lost that, and I mean, some of that was due to marketing deals with Call of Duty and stuff, but it also seems like it was because of specifically Xbox trying out. Different new, things. new exclusives. Yeah. Used to it was like, well, what's the, what are the exclusives? And I well, think, it's Gears of War. It's Halo. It's you yeah. Know. And I think that that's where they fit the best is is uh, being a, a service. I think that Xbox will flourish as one of the best gaming services available. So you don't think it was happen. a mistake to move away from the the I don't think it was, shooter. I don't really think identity. it was a mistake. No. Um, and that's one probably one reason why we haven't seen a Halo game in in what four years? Yeah, three years? it's been a while. Uh, and they obviously still know it's important because yeah, Halo is I mean, still being coming. developed. Yeah. yeah sure. um, but yeah, I think that they did this intentionally i think that this was something that they knew that once sony started hitting higher and higher numbers the further this generation uh, went i mean in the early generation and how fast they shot off i do think that it was 
something they made a conscious decision about. I think that it came down to the wire of, you know, are we going to continue on this fight and up on an uphill battle and lose because we're not going to be able to crank out these kind of games quick enough? Or are we just going to uh, adapt ourselves and become the service that was going to offer everything? And that's why I think that um, games with gold and stuff and games pass and stuff uh, came out the way it did with as many games as it did. Uh, games pass specifically came out with so many games at the launch of it. And it's still expanding to this day of games that you pretty much can download and play. And then now that it's on PC, I think is even even pretty much proven the pudding that this is what it's intended to be. And that's what they are going to be intended to be. And I think that eventually they're going to keep on with their consoles probably until next gen. But I think next gen will be the last we see of an actual console from Xbox. I'm still curious on that one because I could see where the value in just creating a system and knowing when you're creating it that the expectation is it's not going to sell multiple millions just so that you have a home. It's kind of like the, the, the perfect example of this is like, I don't know that Google will ever fully back out of the phone market, even though their phones still haven't completely hit on there. But that's because Google exists as a yeah, service across all other phones, but they still have the Google version of like, hey, if you really just love what Google's done with a console or with a, with a well, phone, then you get to do it, and you're in this ecosystem yeah, totally. And Apple. I think that that'll happen with Microsoft, is that they'll, they'll continue to make consoles alongside their service. It'll just be that we're already in a position where most people see them as a service-based thing, but they still are obviously in a lot of people's mind. They still are a console manufacturer. I think it's going to happen that throughout this next gen, they're going to be a service-based company that just happens to make a console, yeah. very much like Google did, where they are not a phone company, but they make a. They phone. happen to make a phone, yeah. And I mean, I could see that too, but yeah. I think that was something that we'll we'll see from Xbox real soon is, um, game service exclusive games. Oh when yeah! Only on that game service. They're not physical games. They're not digital games on so you'll, store. So it's, you'll specifically see a Games Pass exclusive game. Yeah, you and think then so? eventually, yeah, and eventually, I think Games Pass will be available on on PlayStation in the in the deep distant future. Not quite soon. Yeah, I agree. But uh, and then you'll be able to play those games. Refresh so, my memory, I, and I don't think it's the case. And I'm pretty. Sure, I think you'd remember more than me on this. Um, but I'm trying to remember. Is depends when they talked about one of the first things that Sony said with their PS5 announcement with Mark Cerny is that it will have disc. When Xbox briefly went over their plans for Scarlet on that three E three that were very quick to run by, they didn't say whether the console was going to use a disc. No, but I think that with the the feedback they got from the all digital Xbox One, um, I think that they, they they it would be a it would be a dumb decision to go all digital to go digital for the consumer. It would be a smart decision if they're trying to force people into Games Pass, because then then it's like, well, if I buy this system for my son. I can't go to a GameStop and buy him a game. He has to buy it over our internet. Well, then, then we there's can, convenience, too. Like, can, well, I don't got to yeah. go to the store. We yeah. just I download the, the game, game gets added to the Games Pass, so then, Therefore, you get a free month, and you're like, oh, these games are really good. I downloaded them. And it goes now back into that idea keep it to keep my Games Pass of a constant funding. Yep. I think, you know, a lot of it, there was a question by Josh Ayers, one of our patrons a while back, that I think perfectly sums this up of his assertion was, is it a mistake I think what he even asked was, well, is Phil Spencer the savior of Xbox? Absolutely. As a lot of people think. And, and we go yeah. towards, yeah. And he, I know I've heard him say a number of times, like, you know, he thinks that when you look at it from a traditional console manufacturer thing, well, all their decisions look terrible yeah, on paper. It, it, it but it's like, because that's not what they're trying to do. And I, I, I actually yeah. think that what he's just talking about, that they're finding their way to stay relevant in a market that they've lost 
that they've lost traditional relevancy in. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll I would just say they lost in. Like they're at this point, you know, sales numbers. I mean, what you pretty much said with traditional relevancy. Yeah, traditional. Yeah, yeah the it's traditional market sales. Yeah, yeah. The, the units sold. The um, you know the, the just the general margin that they've made on this current console and its iterations isn't great. And I think that that is the the future is that they will do a a, a service and it's going to be. You know, probably on Switch first because I don't think Sony will say yes to it. I think it's going to come down to Sony having to say yes to it. Um, but once it finally gets on all consoles or whatever, you know, or all it, it becomes available widespread through all PS4, Switch, or PS5, Switch, or you know, whatever the next Nintendo console is, or the in your PC that they it'll work well. And by then, there still will probably be one iteration of Xbox out and about, maybe an all digital one to force you into the Games Pass. But it's a smart move. It forces you to download a game. It's the same with PlayStation Plus. You get a free trial, and you're like, hey, you know, I downloaded, um, well, not lately, but uh, I downloaded <laughs> Gravity Rush for my Vita. And I, I want to keep I want to keep it. this. Therefore, I'm going to pay, you know, 10 bucks a month or yeah, whatever. Sure. And, hey, I get, an extra, I get a free game every month. I get cloud saves every month. So then, yeah, you keep it. The so, thing that constantly gets on me, though, is that when you have a traditional publisher, and that's just going to have to be what makes it so weird, is Microsoft's almost going to have to move towards a publisher that also offers services yeah. in, the fa- in the face that, like, why would Sony, and I mean, because you were talking about Sony would have to say yeah. Well, outside of that, it's, so I, my immediate response in my mind was Sony would say yeah, because what that means is that their competition is ceded to them. Well, I mean, I think at this but, point with the crossplay, they've pretty much conceded they lost this gen. Yeah, at this point. But like, even on that, I think. Well, but that's a full-on seed. If you're going, we're going to literally put our games on your console. Then Sony gets to go. We we, true, walk, yeah. we we mop the floor with their competition in not a way of like gloating and for us, but in the idea of what a business is. The they, whole they idea of a business is to be as successful as possible, yeah. and that means to make your competition as least successful as possible to the point where essentially Sony gets to think of now we've limited it down to where we're the only person in the premium home console space yeah essentially becoming almost a monopoly while that monopoly can still be relevant with home console with you know with home console tech and then nintendo right now knows what they've done which has given themselves a monopoly in the handheld space even if they want to call their system a console but you know but they're not premium that's what i mean it's like even if you wanted to say the switch is a is a console it's not a premium console it doesn't hold up to the specs of even like a you know a, a computer you can go buy off the shelf. Yeah, that's why I compare it to a handheld. Yeah. Like, so you know, you, but when you look at those things, I guess my thing is how does Sony the 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 reason I think Sony would do it because of course it'd be that now this is essentially the concession of of Microsoft in that market. But the other thing from Sony would be how do they make money on it? And that's something I don't understand. I, I'm going to try and look into on even things like EA Access. How does that go into? Does everybody who subscribes through PlayStation specifically get? Does PlayStation get a money back well, on that, let's or say, is it based off the number of games plays? I am curious as to how monetization works because well, I, you know way, we, we talked about why did e, why did Sony not do EA Access at first, and you assume it has to be to, because of monetization. Well, no, it would, they would rather people buy the game on their system because they'll make more money than they'd get from well, whatever yeah. their their little bit would be from whatever EA well, Access's subscription. And that's are. the thing, right? Is Games Pass is, is an online service. But right now, it's only on consoles that are both owned and controlled by Microsoft. But let's say you get platforms. A, you, let's say in two years you get a PS5. Yep, and you buy Games Pass, and you're like, "This is cool." This, so then you pay monthly for Games Pass, which goes to Microsoft. Oh, this is an online service. I have to have PlayStation Plus. That so that's so one way there. Then that comes into does Sony look like a bad guy in charging people? to get onto a service. And that also, no. do you know if EA Access requires PS Plus? I think it does. Well, well so the, Xbox and, and it Live would, is required for Games Pass. And it, it would not? be sensible. I don't think so. 
I think it is because I, I'm because you don't sure. have to play multiplayer games. All you're doing is literally just downloading a game. To me, Isn't if, that if Microsoft is wanting money right now, the stupidest thing that they could do would be to make it to where you have to have one over the other in a way other than a bundle because yeah, they've got a true. bundle right now. You know, it's yeah, like fifteen dollars a month for everything. Yeah, that's what but I use. If they can make sure that you're if you'll if you're willing to pay ten dollars a month, but you don't really care for online access, and as far as you're concerned, you can save five dollars a month and just play the games that are single player only on Games Pass. That's guaranteed money for them. If they put that behind something where you've also got to pay for a subscription of uh, just to be online, it'd be a weird move. But Sony could do that just as a way for monetization. It gets weird. It does. And that's where the future gets a little clouded and muddy. Of like, how does this work as Microsoft transitions away from being on a console and more of being on other platforms. Yeah, and let's let that be our community question for episode one twenty three is do you think we'll ever see Xbox Games Pass on a PlayStation console? Yeah. Why don't you guys let us know on go. our Discord, Twitter, anywhere else we post the question at Facebook and uh we will be seeing you guys. I hope you, I hope you didn't hate all the amount of Xbox and Nintendo talk, but this is a random episode where we well, talk about things like it was we talk all, about in real life. It was all in relation to PlayStation. It was. Still too. It so was, I, I think we did a good job that, of but. talking about that. But yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. A little weirdly structured and a lot different from what we normally do. But you know what? I think it was a kind of fun that we didn't know what we were going into and a good conversation just came out of it. Yeah. So with that said, like Saul said, we'll, we're done here. We will see you guys next week. Hopefully we got a better topic. Uh, or We have a topic. Have not a t- better necessarily topic, yeah. this was great actually i i enjoy it. i love topics like these it's uh, so very akin to our off topic podcast so check that out if you like stuff like this yeah which we're about to go and record so <laughs> yeah so anyway we'll see you guys next time we've been triangle squared thanks thank you thanks to our patrons chad v dan barber josh jarrell matthew green my name is dan douglas below sean sanarud eric McAllister, matt sycamore shadowist steven salazar the stonard Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanlin, Coy Live, Philip Laguerre, Corey Hickerson, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Thomas McKinnis, Brandon Edwards, and Sean One Neo. If you would like to support the show in any shape or form, consider giving as little as a dollar per month and by going to patreon.com slash nartech. Thanks.